Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I appreciate you tuning in. Well, today's episode is the beginning of a journey, journey of about 14 months that will conclude with 135 miles through the Minnesota Northwoods next January. When I say next, I mean 2025. The Arrowhead 135 is calling my name. This comes with a warning. Don't make a film about something that you don't think would ever be a good idea to do. That being said, I did do a film on the Iditarod Trail Race, and I do not want to do that. I could do part of it. Let's start with Arrowhead. Let's start with fat biking. Arrowhead 135 is a 135 mile winter ultra from International Falls, the coldest place in the continental United States. It's the end of January, coldest month of the year on a snowmobile trail from International Falls to Tower, Minnesota. You have 60 hours to get her done. You can do it on a fat bike, skis, or foot. I am choosing to do it on a fat bike. And why is this a big adventure for me? Because I do not even own a fat bike. I have ridden a fat bike around a parking lot. I may have bumped down a trail 15 feet, but I have never ridden in the snow. I've never taken a fat bike on an extended ride. It is definitely one of the cycling disciplines that I have never experienced. I've done road racing for a hundred years, mountain biking, cyclocross, gravel, long distance gravel, short distance gravel, um, track, I've raced on the track. I am your state bronze medalist in two events that I can't even remember what. Probably the Kilo and Pursuit, or I don't know. I remember doing the Kilo, I remember doing the Pursuit, and I remember doing the, might have been the points race. But, I mean, there were four of us, so. Anyway, <laughs> I have raced on the track. I have never done fat biking. So, did a film. It will be released this winter in some form on the Arrowhead 135. And it turns out as you sit there and you edit all of this footage and people are smiling and have a good time. Like, I didn't see any like broken legs. I didn't see any people like crawling through stream beds covered in leeches. I didn't see people struck by lightning. I didn't see like 400 below zero battling headwinds for hours on end, running out of food. Like people seem to be enjoying themselves. And as you edit and you're looking at all of these people having a great time for so long, you think that might be a good idea. So here I go, but I'm not gonna do it without help. Honestly, I don't know what I'm doing. Again, never ridden a fat bike in the snow. That's gonna be new. I'm worried about clothing. Uh, I'll explain that later. I'm worried about equipment. What works when it's 40 below? What works 
at 40 above, all of this stuff. I'm a little worried about food because it's so much distance, so much time between checkpoints where you can resupply or get a little bite to eat or at least fill your water bottle. Um, I, I am worried about those things. I am worried about training. How do I incorporate this kind of winter ultra training into my uh, life as we know and it's going to be a year-long process it's not till 2025 that I do it so today I am talking with Steve McGuire a many time I don't even know how many times he's done Arrowhead but he's done the Arrowhead 135 he's done Tascobia he's ridden across Iceland twice he's ridden from Alaska to Iowa he has ridden the Iditarod Trail he did it in 1996 when it was I did a sport and it was brand new. There were no fat bikes. People literally laced two rims together to make a bigger footprint on the snow so that they could ride on the Iditarod Trail. And that was his era. He also did it in 2019 where I actually met him. This is a great story. I am 150 miles up river from Anchorage, Alaska, Kinnick to be specific. And I'm in this lodge, Rainy Pass Lodge, conglomeration of cabins. I'm in this cabin where I'm gonna spend two nights. But there's two guys sitting there, we're chatting. Where are you from? Iowa. What? How do we not know each other? Like, how do we not know each other? I still can't figure that out. I swear, we run in the same circles from the same state, do the same thing, and we didn't know each other. But we met at Rainy Pass Lodge. So Steve McGuire, we met while he was doing the 350-mile Iditarod Trail Invitational to McGrath. And we've stayed in touch, and he's been on this podcast. He was in my film, A Thousand Miles to Nome. Check it out. It's on YouTube on the Bike Talk with Dave channel. And uh, Steve is going to be my mentor for my Arrowhead journey. Today, I am focusing on clothing. And I will tell you why as Steve and I discuss this, but um, I should probably get into our conversation. So without further ado, I want to bring you into my journey to the Arrowhead Trail, Arrowhead 135, 2025 and my conversation with my new mentor, Steve McGuire. Hey Steve, how you doing today? Welcome back to Bike Talk with Dave. I'm glad to have you on. Dave, I'm glad to be here. I always enjoy our conversations. I do too. And, uh, you know, you've actually been on this podcast several times. If I had done my homework and looked what episodes, I could point people to them, but... Um, uh, look in the show notes to see what episode you're on or just scroll through and um, see what episode you're on because you've got great information. You do cool programs. You do cool things on bikes. And, um, geez, yeah. you've done cool things on bikes for a long time. Yeah, for sure. yeah well, thank you. It's, it's fun to do things on bikes. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Well, we are talking about getting me ready for the Arrowhead 135, not this winter, but next winter in 2025. Right. Yeah, that's right. I cannot wait till you're on that trail. I can't either. 
and it would have been fun to like dive in and do it this year. But I, of all of the things I've done on a bike, riding a fat bike in the snow is not one of them. Right. And so I feel like this, it's long enough. It's potentially cold enough. Like it scares, it's a race that scares me. It's not like signing up for another hundred mile gravel ride where, I mean, I'll put the bike on the roof and I'll drive and I'll go do a hundred miles on gravel tomorrow. But, uh, this thing scares me a bit and there's several pieces of it that I think are different than a hundred mile gravel ride or like even Leadville mountain bike race, which is a hundred miles through the mountains there, that has its own kind of character. But I feel like there's with Arrowhead doing a hundred miles through the woods on a snowmobile trail in the middle of winter, it could be 40 below. It could be 40 above, um, for potentially three days. Uh, I feel like you could get yourself in trouble if you don't know what you're doing. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And hence the 14 month timeline. Good. Yep. We'll be ready. Um, oh, I hope so. I hope so. I feel like, and I want to talk about one thing specifically today, but um, in general, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, I will be physically in shape. Like I had a great year this year. I had, uh, bless you, I had more than um, 6,000 miles under my legs. And I feel like I'm in good shape. And I don't know if like <laughs> uh, hanging on to going fast with the morning road group means anything at Arrowhead or not. But I had a good season hanging on going fast with the early morning road group this year. So I, I don't know if that translates again. I've done did some you know, long gravel rides. I did some long mountain bike rides. I don't know if that translates. We're going to talk about kind of training the physical aspect in a bit, but I hope it translates at least some. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to talk about, I think clothes today. Yes. Clothing. Yep. And, and but, I'm actually worried about clothing too. And I want to, I'll tell you why when we get there, but go ahead. So, you know, one thing that, this is my observation. So I, um, you know, I'm in, in the midst right now of preparing first for Discobia and then for Arrowhead. Discobia being at the end of uh, December and then uh, Arrowhead at the end of January. And um, to that end, I have uh, actually ramped up uh my running so that uh, I really uh, have a strong fitness around uh, endurance. So I'll run for an hour on a trail with the dog. And I actually think at our age, that kind of aerobic piece is, is one critical piece. It really is. The other critical piece is, uh, all the miles that you put in, just your legs getting used to uh, riding lots and lots of miles. Um, you know, especially, uh, you know, during one uh, hard pull. Uh, after 12 hours, it's all the same. Uh, you hurt, then you don't hurt, you hurt, you don't hurt, 
you're you're fine. But I think your riding with the group in the smor- in the morning makes uh, complete sense, and I think it's a really good thing to do. Good. I'm glad to hear that because I'll probably yeah. do that again next summer. But um, you know, and I do mix it up. Like you know, like I said, I've I did the Sycamore 100, 100 miles mountain biking, essentially in our neighborhood. Um, I don't know. I probably did three other centuries. I probably did six or eight metric centuries on gravel or, I mean, probably a dozen if you count road. Like Dee and I will just go out and when we get home, it's like, oh, we just did 70 miles. So I feel like that is good. I think what I'm going to have to get used to, and we're not on subject here, but why not rant and rave about this for a minute, right? Right. Um, I did a hundred mile I started a hundred mile run. I did a hundred K at the end of the day. And I remember, you know, I used to be pretty fast as a runner. Um, and I did, was out on a long gravel run. It was like a, I don't know, a 20 or 25 mile run just out by myself. And <laughs> I called a friend of mine and I was like, yeah, Jeff Corcoran, I don't know if you know Cork, but um, uh, I called Cork, who had done a 100-mile run, and I was like, Cork, I don't know, man. Like, I am anxious. Like, what? And he's like, just be patient. Just accept that you're going to be there all day and just be patient. Yeah. And that was a great lesson for me. And I feel like I'm going to have to relearn that, but on a bike. Right. Well, I was thinking of actually a different Cochrane, but yeah, I, I think that that's really it. It's what you and I have uh, an advantage at is the ability to control our mind. Uh, we can say to ourselves, uh, I can break the spell of this thinking. I'll just move to something else. And um, that ability by itself is, is pretty important. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure you have 60 hours to do this thing, and I'm sure your mind does many, many, many things over the course of those hours that you're out there. I'm going to make a prediction. You're going to finish under 36 hours. Oh, wow. Huh, okay. I I actually anticipated two nights, but one night's fine. I think you're going to be able to do that. All right, cool, cool. Um. Okay, so that patience thing leads me to my anxiety about clothing. And that sounds weird. And I know clothing should be a simple thing, like put on clothes and go freaking ride your bike. But my, my model is I will get dressed for the weather. I will go ride my bike and then I'll come home. And when I'm home, I can take my clothes off, put on dry clothes, take a shower, whatever. I'm warm. And uh, I, I've ridden in 10 below, 6 below. I, I've ridden in every situation. Rain, snow, snain, wind. I've ridden in all of that. But in every single situation on every bike ride I've ever done, when I get done with my ride, I can get out of my clothes have a warm space, whatever that is, even if it's a tent, um, and settle in and, and not worry about having 
wet, clammy clothes. And this thing, like, I mean, you don't really have that, you know? Well, it's take, not like I'm riding, I'm not going back to my car at the end of this. You're actually going to get to do it. It's just that it's going to take 36 hours. <laughs> well, that's what worries me. It scares me. There's a lot, lot, lot that can happen in 36 hours. It could be so, you know, 25 degrees during the day and you're hot, you're going up hills. Oh, yeah. And then it could be 40 below at night and I don't want to die. I don't want all of my limbs to freeze and fall off of my body. So um, well, you know, let's, think, let's dive into clothing. Go ahead. So, you know, one is uh, it's absolutely critical to have confidence, not, not simply in your clothes, but that you'll be okay when it's cold. And, you know, one of the things that I, I tell myself is I, I need to be able to leave my bike wherever it is, if it's a disaster, and walk until I get to wherever I need to get. Now, the, the, the challenge is with Arrowhead, I think there are only three crossings uh, in terms of road access. And so it, 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 it can be very remote. And sure, there are, um, you know, there's a possibility that if you're really hurting, uh, you can be picked up by a snow machine. The reality is you think you're cold uh, at 40 below, get on a snow machine at 40 below. <laughs> Good point. Uh, Good point. You don't want to do that. You want to walk out. Right. So I think that, uh, you know, having emergency clothes, clothes that you're confident you would be able to stay warm in, regardless of how long you have to be out there is everything. And, um, you know, I, I've had some mechanicals and um, I've been well below zero and had to walk and uh, just knowing that I would be okay was was fine. Um, so, clothes. Um, bike pogies are essential. Bike pogies being the over mitts on your handlebars. Oh, right. And so you'll see, you know, there are a variety, well, there are a number of manufacturers. I first encountered these uh, on the Idita Sport in 1995. I was in all-weather sports in um, uh, Anchorage, Alaska, and I was trying to figure out if I could actually keep my hands warm. And then, I'm sorry, I was in REI, and over on this stand were these things that I'd never seen before, and they were pogies. And I asked somebody about it, and they said, oh, yeah, everybody on a snow machine and everybody on a bicycle. Ooh. So I bought a set of those for the event, and as it turned out, they were essentially got to minus 45. But with a bike pogey, you can keep uh, your hand uh, in just a a nice, comfortable wool glove and, uh, and stay okay. By the way, in terms of gloves, clothing in general, I think a wool glove is really, really good because... If it does get damp uh, a little, it's not going to get cold like it will with other fabric. One thing to avoid, I had this the other day, even in uh, 20 degree temperatures, um, 
I had a, 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 a glove made out of synthetic material that had uh, a plastic-ish palm and then pla plastic-ish uh, grip on the uh, on the fingers and the thumb, and that really conducted the cold. Oh, really? So, you could tell it went right yeah, through that. I, I wear a loose-fitting wool glove inside of a pogie, and I've got uh, you know three different sets of pogies. Uh, when I'm uh, on Arrowhead, I, I I use my Revelate pogies because they can actually uh, function as a place to uh, store things, especially food. Hmm. And they stay warm enough that that, that works. Uh, you know, if it's really cold, I'll drop uh, uh, some, some toe warmers, uh, you could do hand warmers, inside those pogies uh, while your hand is in there. Uh, but I, 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 I haven't encountered a temperature in which uh, a pogie and a wool glove would not uh, be very nice and, and warm. Uh, that said, I, you know, I always have emergency pair of mittens uh, that I can put on that when I when I put them on have instantly made me feel very secure. Hmm. Just like that. And I think, you know, your ability to feel secure is everything. Uh, so pogies and a, and a wool glove are great for the hands. In terms of uh, my head, uh, I'm using a layer layering system, and um, I'm usually putting on a wool uh, cap. Uh, what I've done lately that I've really liked is use my Outdoor Research wool hoodie and pull that hoodie over the cap, and then uh, after that, I use my alpaca uh, cap. I've got an alpaca uh, wool cap. An alpaca is substantially warm. It was just incredible. Uh, I wear that. Sometimes I'll actually use uh, a neoprene after my wool layer, but underneath my other wool uh, with so that that uh, neoprene can uh, keep my alpaca uh, cap from getting wet. Um, I'm not a person who um, has issues with getting super wet. The reason why is because I'm super slow. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I exert enough energy on the single speed um, uh, to move me forward. But I, I, I do, like everybody, work in layers. And I can tell you, though, in terms of fabric, uh, wool, 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 uh, in terms of those things that are close to you. We are not talking about, um, like, outer shells, jackets no. or anything no. yet. But um, I do have this Ibex uh, wool puffy with a hood mm -hmm. that... Um, I'm actually pretty excited about. It seems like it would be a good, um, good jacket, but it has a hood, and uh, and you're making me think about the value of that hood. I'm typically not a hoodie guy, but um, I think there there might be value in that that hood right there. 
Yeah, I think a hood is is really good. I, uh, you know, my outer layer is uh, is a feathered friend's uh, down jacket, mm-hmm. and uh, underneath that, uh, depending on the temperature, uh, I'll have more or less layers. Uh, but that that I that has a hoodie, and again, just like the mittens, um, I have that so that I can throw that hood on it instantly make myself warm Hmm. Uh, and you know that's valuable the other thing that uh, is important to consider in terms of down is how a down coat is actually supposed to fit it's it's it it really needs to be not so tight that that you uh, everything is being squished but you do want it uh, you know fairly tight uh, we're used to thinking of a loose coat, but that down apparently functions really well with uh, something that you know is is fairly uh, snug, not too snug. Um, you know, so I I, I I do a down outer coat. Uh, but you'd mentioned 40 degrees. I've been in events where it's above uh, 32 degrees and. I think that's worse than 40 below. Um, you just can't dress right. Uh, you That's when I do get wet on the inside. Uh, it's easy to get chilled, I think, uh, when it's above 32 degrees. Uh, but it's harder for me to get chilled when it's 20 below. If that, It, it sounds uh, paradoxical, but it's easier for me to regulate my temperature uh, riding when I've got uh, a colder temperature. So, yeah. Could part of that be because it's harder to ride because the snow is soft? Oh yeah, and you know, you're, it's soft and you're sweating and uh, there's just no way for you to stay dry uh, inside. And then you throw in like a wet, rainy snow. Oh. <clears throat> Yeah. That is the worst. Um, yeah. Huh. Um, I want to go back to the head for just a second because um, something of note is helmets are not required in a race like this. And right. that's kind of paradigm shifting. Do you ever wear a helmet? Do people wear helmets? Like, where do helmets fit into this? Well, you know, I've, I've on Arrowhead especially, I've, I've wiped out because... When you look at the course, you'll see that after Mel George's, after about, especially after about mile 73 to about mile 110, you're going to run into some significant hills. Hmm. And uh, I, I've gone down, but I, I don't wear a helmet. Um, and the reason why is I can't keep my head warm enough. This is me in a helmet. Now, if I put a a hood over the helmet, I suspect I could, uh, but I'm, you know, usually what, what I'm using for lights, uh, I'm using a, a, a dyno hub, sun dyno hub with a, a K light uh, that generates some light, uh, you know, just from uh, the, the, the wheels moving or the front wheel moving, but I'm also using a black diamond uh, uh, headlamp. And, you know, with uh, three AAA batteries. And in the snow, uh, in the winter, it works 
really well. That, but I'm telling you that because uh, it's really hard for me to use that with a bike helmet. Cool. Uh, and so I, I like having it, uh, you know, on my uh, on my head. Otherwise, yeah. Do some people choose to wear helmets? Not many. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, Tuscovia forever, you know, seemed to require it, but they no longer do require it. And I think everybody out of um, a sense of promoting safety suggests that it's something that you should seriously consider. Uh, I would do it if, if it wasn't so cumbersome in trying to... Uh, get a get a good system for warmth on my head hmm. that's interesting it's you know especially knowing that there's a required equipment list right. and uh, every every other race i've ever done has required a helmet and not a 20 below sleeping bag yeah. or two ways to start a fire right. or yeah. <laughs> it's right. three thousand calories etc 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 but um so that's kind of interesting um, let's go from, uh, hands, we went to head, another extremity, let's drop all the way down to feet, because I am worried about feet, uh, and again, my model is putting on shoes, I've got a pair of winter cycling boots, um, oh man, I don't, you know, they're SPD pedals, but if it's, 20 30 40 below i don't think they're going to be warm enough i'm tempted to go to flat pedals and some kind of boots like actual boots but uh wh what do you do for feet and what do you recommend so just, I, you know um i'll give you a brief history of of how i've navigated this so way back in the day in 1995 when i was preparing for the idea sport there's no such thing as the internet, really, and uh, it was interlibrary phone, uh, uh, loan, and then uh, uh, picking up the phone, calling different locations, trying to run down uh, people that you uh, got the name of. Uh, and back then, people were talking about converting uh, what was a snow jogger uh, uh, a warm uh, running boot to uh, to clip in, and so I work with Ken Leffler locally to try to outfit a pair of shoes, and that just didn't work. And then, uh, as it turned out, um, I uh, took the advice of somebody in 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 Alaska who had done this before, and. Uh, there were a couple of days below zero, and uh, he said, go ride uh, for 12 hours uh, when it's really, really cold. Try to start your uh, stove and get into your bivy and uh, get some water boiling, and that's going to give you some confidence. What, what I learned was it's really hard to keep your, uh, your feet warm on a bicycle. And so um, for Alaska, in 95 on the Iditarod Trail, 
I bought these huge hundred below boots at Cabela's. Oh boy! And I, I wore uh, flat pedals, uh, platforms, and they really worked. They were super heavy. I looked hilarious, uh, but my feet were okay. And then, you know, as the years went on, um, I, um, I, I'm just starting to get a cramp in my leg from riding. Um, as, as the years went on, I, uh, you know, really worked at making sure that I could stay clipped into my pedal. And I went through the 45 North apparel, uh, Wolf Hammers, bought X, the largest size that I could get so that I could put extra socks on. But for me, um, I always felt like that, that cleat was, uh, making my feet colder Ooh. and uh, for, for two reasons. One is it's a piece of metal and then the other is your foot's locked in one place. Sure. And then finally, uh, you know, for an event like Arrowhead, you're getting on and off the bike all the time. And if the first 10 yards of climbing a hill is stomping your pedal, your foot against the pedal to clean off your cleat, uh, that is just a huge waste. Do that for 36 hours and you're gonna be miserable. Um, by the way, you know, so the different times, I've finished as quick as 28 hours and as long as 38 hours. Cool. Uh, always on a single speed. But I, I uh, year round now, all I ride exclusively are, are platform pedals. And at Arrowhead last year, I felt like I had a great Arrowhead last year. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that it was really cold and I had really warm boots. Uh, I had a pair of Sorrells that I, I might have worn outside to shovel the snow once. And last year, the temperatures were forecast, and um, it turned out to be that some people saw on the trail uh, actual air temps at minus 40, minus 42. But I, I wore those Sorrel boots. I only had to change toe warmers uh, twice in the first 20 hours. Uh, it, it was incredible. Um, so I, I just wear those boots knowing that uh, my feet are going to be comfortable uh, in terms of being warm. Aren't they heavy? I worry about them being heavy. That's going to be the least of your worries. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. That's yeah, no, good to know. Gonna be, it's, it's all relative. I mean, um, they're going to be heavy, but uh, them being heavy even though it seems like it's going to be an issue, will not be an issue. Hmm. Um, you're also going to, you know, you're going to be very, I don't know anybody that can walk or ride all the hills. Maybe, I'm sure there are some people, but. Well, there are uh, some people who have gears on their bike. Well, even the geared people. So <laughs> all right. I, you know, especially wake them uphill. But, uh, you know, you're going to be, walking up hills and uh, you're going to want me, I, I didn't want to wear uh, uh, clipless uh, shoes uh, walking up the hill. Uh, 
but the boots are just fine. And um, you, you know, you're right to, to, to think that the more confidence you have in your ability to be safe and warm, the better off you're going to be. Good, good to know. Good to know. All right, so now let's move to the uh, interior. Um, I don't know if we want to start with the lower, like the legs, or the upper body. And again, my biggest word, like I can dress. I, I, we go skiing to Colorado every year. I'm a lifty. I'm outside for six hours at a time in the through winter. If it's warmer than five below, we're open, and I'm bumping chairs for six hours. Yeah. I can dress for that, but I'm not working hard. I don't care how much it weighs. I don't care how bulky it is. But when I get on my bike to go for a 100-mile gravel ride, even in the winter, a mountain bike ride, even in the winter, a road ride, summer or winter, I'm not wanting to be bulky. And so right. I'm, I struggle with the big, bulky, warm, and the, I don't know, nimbleness of cycling clothing. And it's, I'm sure it's got to be somewhere in between, but talk me through torso. So depending on the conditions, if it's... Um... You know, I, I've, I've, I've taken different approaches uh, over the years. Um, I, uh, when I was younger and really moving fast, uh, I wore uh, a synthetic, like a, what we call back then polypro, would now be capoline, uh, dual fold, something like that, uh, top, uh, with... Uh, Back then it would be polar fleece, now it would be wool, with simply a shell that could be very thin that would uh, allow me to retain the heat that I generated uh, and, uh, and block the wind. And the wool, or back then the polar fleece, would absorb the moisture and, uh, and the polypro or the capoline now would wick things away and that that does work but I'm slow enough now and uh, on Arrowhead especially when you're having to get off your bike a lot you're gonna move from hot to cold and uh, I want to be uh, warm when I'm having to walk or, or or the like up the hill and so now what I'll, I'll typically do let's say we go to Arrowhead next year, and the temperature is um, 20 degrees. Uh, I suspect that I would get by in um, my Nano Puff and my Capoline One long shirt, and uh, uh, just go like that. Um, I'd have as a backup. Uh, a wool top that I'd probably throw on at night because it's always going to be cold on a trail that's that's covered with snow uh, during the night. But um, that would be different than in the past when I would wear only a shell. So I'm always, you know, for the for the most part now wearing down. Uh, 
either a light down or a heavier down. Um, but I'm taking uh, uh, layers to begin with a wicking layer, a wool layer, uh, and then uh, uh, a coat over the top of that. Your coat, I picture when you say, and this might be um, young, fast you, with a, like basically a wind shell on. Right. Would you vent, would you have a ventable back? And I ask that for a follow, I've got a follow up to that question. Yes, I would. I mean, when I did the, I did a sport back in the day, I had uh, three changes of clothes that were in drop bags and they were all the same, but I, I had three of the same jacket. Back then, it was uh, the company that was great was Alpine Low, and I had an Alpine three Alpine Low jackets, and they vented in the back, and they were just so good. But uh, yeah, I, I absolutely want to get that vented. Yeah, because you want moisture leaving. You Your want body. that to escape and, and get out of there and, and stay dry. Yeah. So where then does a camelback fit in to the equation? So uh, I've worn a camelback. Uh, there's sometimes I think about going back to doing it. Uh, if I were to use it again, I'd use a, the Revelate, um, I forget what it's called, uh, uh, version of a bag uh, because it's, it, uh, boy, I wish, oh, the, no, it's not terrible. Uh, I'd use a Revelate version because it's really easy to use uh, a bladder in that bag in the winter. It's just ideal hmm. uh, in terms of how it's it's configured. But I, when I've used my uh, Camelback, and I I don't do it not so much because of the weather. I just prefer not to have anything on my back. As sure as I say that, I'll try it. Again, uh, but well, you know, does that does that keep the heat in and keep the moisture from leaving? I mean, is that a consideration? Like, if you throw a camelback on, you've got this thing on your back, and that's going to not allow the the moisture you're generating to escape out of the back. In my mind's eye, yeah, it'll still get get out the back. You'll have okay. that vent, and you'll be all right. And uh, depending on the temperature, I'm either running the hose under my arm, uh, into my jacket, uh, and always keeping it the inside my jacket. Or if it's really, really cold, I'm running it down through my arm uh, to my sleeve. Oh, wow. And, uh, and doing that. So one thing you got to make sure, though, is that you're not leaking. For sure. Because I've had that happen. And I've seen it happen to people, and there's nothing worse than having water leak uh, when it's really, really cold. Yeah, I feel right like I, yeah, I feel like everybody's got a horror story of a leaking camelback, oh, a leaking yeah. hose, or whatever. But yeah, hopefully, I, I'm using a orange mud that we picked up at the uh, Gravel World, and uh, God, I really like that valve system. It not only shuts down, but it's got another little valve. Uh, twist to keep water from even getting to the bite valve. So 
Uh, I'll test that this winter. That's part of my 14-month strategy is to test stuff like that. I think, you know, that's the thing that you want to do this winter is if I were to have a goal, uh, you know, starting out like this uh, for Arrowhead, I, I would... I would really try to identify those clothes and uh, the fuel system that make you feel confident uh, in terms of them working uh, the whole time. Uh, I'm going to circle back around to uh, comfort uh, in terms of cold, but uh, I I think... um, you know, I would I would try the bladder. I think that that's uh, a system that works for people well. I use um, I use thermoses, and I go back and forth on whether or not that's great. But my strategy has been to, uh, and again, you know, I'm not super fast. I stop every hour and a half to make sure that I drink a, a, some water. So I literally stop in my tracks, reach for my bottle, drink uh, out of the out of the thermos, and I eat something. That's that's what I do, uh, just to keep everything steady and going. Um, so try the bladder. That, I will do that. Uh, okay. So what about legs? Um, I put on a pair of tights and I go ride my bike, and. Uh, you know, again, I don't, it's, it, it's paradigm shifting for me because I can even be cold on the ride. Like I can get cold during the ride. I can, you know, I can get away with shorts and it's 42 degrees and I don't care. My knees are a little cold, but I got a warm shower when I get home. So like, how do you, how do you manage the legs, not freezing your, um, quads in the wind um sitting comfortably on the bike saddle like i I think about putting on a pair of like i don't know 686 pants or something but i'm like i don't want to sit on that seam for 36 hours so let's give me your give me your leggings okay so um At um, at zero and above, I'm wearing a heavier pant, my outdoor research pant, and uh, long underwear. Uh, what kind underwear. of long underwear? Uh, outdoor merino, outdoor research, long underwear. Wool. And I'm wearing my bike short. Oh. And uh, so my bike shorts and then the long underwear... And then those, um, uh, you know, a little bit thicker pant. And that works really well to, to zero. If it's, if it's. When, when you say a little bit thicker, are you, do you mean insulated some? Or is it just a thicker just a nylon? Thicker, just a thicker nylon pant. Huh, yeah. okay. Now, you know, there's some interesting, um, pants out there that the they're insulated by the weave of the pant uh patagonia makes some really great uh 
I like those. Um, but I can get by with something that is, is heavy. One thing that I, I know, uh, from, for me anyway, is if my legs are too hot, that is a real problem. If my legs are too cold, that's also not great. Uh, and it would always be the quads that could get really, really cold. Uh, I'm never afraid when my quads are, are cold. Uh, like I'm not, I'm thinking I'm not going to get frostbite on my, on my quads. Like I might my toes or my fingers, but, um, when it's below zero, I'll wear, um, and again, you know, I'm old and slow. I just want to finish. And so I wear a snow pant that, uh, uh, has a zipper. Uh, on the inside of the leg to release heat. And more often than not, that zipper is, is you know, it's open and it's dumping heat. The other thing I do is I wear uh, suspenders uh, for my pants because uh, I can uh, unsnap uh, uh, the, the snap if I need to. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's definitely a hassle when you've got to go to the bathroom, but there's nothing worse for me than having to constantly pull up my pants or get the back of my pants caught on the, the nose of the saddle or, you know, something like that. And so I, yep. I use, uh, I use the, the, uh, suspenders a lot and I, I, I like those. Uh, good advice. Um, Gosh, I had a question in there that was of utmost importance to my survival. I don't remember uh, what it was. Long underwear? Uh, long underwear. Oh, uh, you've said, so above zero or above 20 or below 30. Do you, like, do you leave the start with, everything like how do you have your down jacket stuffed inside a bag on your bike do you have um insulated pants stuffed on your bike if it's warm when you leave like do you have all that extra stuff so that you can switch and change and um adapt as the weather changes throughout the course of the ride yeah i i do so um i I leave uh, in, in the clothes that are right for the temperature with a set of emergency clothes that will keep me warm under any circumstances. And so um, uh, I always will have my heavy down coat. I'll have my feathered friends down pant. I'll have, um, uh, I'll have some down booties. Uh, I will uh, always have an extra dry wool top, an extra dry wool cap. Uh, always have my expedition mittens with me so that if something were to happen, I would be able to get warm. And I'd be able to stay warm if I had to walk to the finish line. Ooh. And uh, so that's always there no matter the temperature. Uh, I, I can tell you back in 
2016, Arrowhead was really warm. You know, floating, flirting with uh, a couple degrees above zero. And it was impossible to ride. Everybody was soaking wet, including me. And um, having down clothes available uh, to stay warm was really, really important. So, uh, you know, being able to get out of wet clothes in emergency and put those on, those warm clothes is everything. Uh, you know, if you were to get wet, if you were to get super wet uh, in your, um, uh, your wool clothes, you, you really have to simply have confidence in uh, the properties of wool to keep you safe. If you keep moving and you're damp and you're in wool, you're going to be okay. Mm. You're not going to die. Uh, when I was in Iceland, I, I, I think I told you a story where I fell into a glacial stream, one thing after another, uh, one potential change of clothes, it was raining. I wore uh, just my wool uh uh, top and some shorts and uh, you know did a few things with my feet and I stayed warm at about 36 degrees but I, I think uh, you know if, if you start to get wet and you've got wool on you're going to be okay hmm. well I think I'm going to take this winter and experiment and, and do you know nighttime mountain bike rides that aren't that are of longer uh, duration, not just my hour and a half go rip Sycamore and, and come home, but go out for three or four hours. So, um, so what we're going to do is you and I are going to the Heritage Trail when it's zero and below. Uh, and, you know, Heritage Trail is really good in Iowa because I don't like snowmobile traffic and there's not a lot of it, mm -hmm. but the trail does allow snowmobiles and so... Uh, there's a track regardless, and that's kind of good. Yeah, yep, yep. I figure at home I'll use gravel roads. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I'll experiment with clothing and what's comfortable, what's not comfortable. And I feel like my goal this winter should be conf to gain the ability and confidence to go ride three or four hours, stop in a ditch, set up camp, boil water, and um, be able to, I haven't decided whether I like sleep or just set up camp and then tear it down and ride home. Again, I like having that warm shelter at the end of my ride. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, probably sleep and then turn around and ride home the next morning. But I feel like it's going to take me several rides to get to the point where I'm confident enough in my clothing, et cetera, et cetera, um, to be able to do that. But I think this winter will be a, a great time for me to experiment with what's comfortable, what works, what do I have confidence in, and all of the things that you said. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's what winter is for. 
<laughs> yep, yep. And again, that's part of the reason I'm doing it next year, not this year, so that I can experiment all of this winter and, and really test stuff out. But uh, We'll see. So what are, what are some of the other things? We're going to um, chat uh, throughout the course of the next 14 months uh, a few times. What are some of the important topics that you feel like we should spend some time on? Well, one of the here here's some thoughts. One is um, one topic is uh, settling on your gear and sticking with it, uh, and uh, not uh, chasing after the latest post on uh, on Facebook or uh, uh, you know one of the the sources that are out there on the internet and you, you'll be able to you'll be able to settle uh, on that fairly fairly quick I I used to be in the habit of uh, rethinking everything until the last minute uh, thinking oh my god somebody just said this maybe I need to do this and that's that's just really a waste of time and it can make things worse so that's a topic the other is um, it, it sounds almost cliche 90% of the event is mental and um, you know right now you're in absolutely fine enough shape to be able to do this uh, the hard part is going to be uh, when your mind says, oh my God, I could die. This is really stupid. I hurt really, really bad. Uh, I'm an old guy and there's no shame in pulling out. And there isn't. Uh, but to be, be, uh, be comfortable with saying, there you are again. And just being able to let the thoughts roll in and out, the good, the bad, the ugly, and just know that you have absolutely no control over what pops in your head, but you do have control uh, on how long uh, it has control over you, those thoughts. And, um, you know, just keep moving forward. Uh, but we can talk about, uh, you know, what's involved uh, thinking-wise uh, in terms of this. You know, the other are maybe, um, you know, specific strategies for eating and drinking mm -hmm. uh, during the event, uh, how to plan your food for the event, um, how to, uh, you know, just, a, you know, uh, uh, what kind of fire starter, what kind of stove, what kind of sleeping bag, uh, what kind of sleeping pad, ah, what kind of uh, uh, device are you going to use uh, in terms of uh, 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 odometer or GPS. Oh, sure. Uh, trying to figure that out. Um, and powering it for 36 hours. That's right, you know, and how you know how to think about that, and then, um, you know, systems for organizing all the things that you have on your bike to prioritize 
what you're going to need access to most often and where emergency things can go uh, to balance out the load and you know what are different possibilities for bag configurations uh, panniers uh, more of a bike packing setup uh, you know where to carry your sleeping bag in front in back um, you know uh, what kind of straps to use uh, how to think about that uh, in the cold um, what is too much gear and what is not enough gear uh, you know those things uh, we can talk about uh, tire sealant uh, tire pressure and tires uh, rim width and uh, when studs are uh, a good idea and when they're they're not needed uh, and then I'm going to leave you with this always keep your pump your tire pump in your jacket unless you want to be like the space shuttle and blow up I, I oh, had a, seals uh, I had a you know my first arrowhead uh, I'd already done Discobie and so and you know and I'd done other events, but I'd never burped out uh, all the air in my tire, and I did. And when I went for my pump, which was in my bag in the back, uh, I, it didn't work. The O-ring uh, had uh, had shrunk so much because of the the temperature, and so then ever since then that that pump is inside my jacket staying warm. Huh. Wow. I would have never thought of that. And uh, the stuff we learn from um, space industry. It's <laughs> amazing. Huh. That's awesome. That's uh, So many questions have been just like flowing through my head as you say all of that stuff. And uh, I'm stoked for um, another conversation to do this. I'm also stoked to talk about bikes. You have been working so hard on bike design. Um, and I'm going to tell people to go back to episode blah, blah, blah <laughs> to um, hear about your program at the University of Iowa. But you're expanding on that. Uh, design, build, ride as yeah. a kind of a program, which is super cool. But you've become quite a, I, I'm going to use this word, an expert in snow bike design like you yeah. your uh, bikes are so very well thought out to work well in the snow yeah. uh, so i'm excited yeah. to talk about that and, and kind of dive into bike design and not everybody not everybody can have a steve mcguire-esque uh bike um you know some of some of us will be riding salsas or uh, specialized or Trek or giant, like there are other, there are other fat bike manufacturers. So the, the goal is to have a bike for you. So we're going to work on this. We, we will work on this. I do have some, uh, options in my back pocket, but, um, you know, one of the, like, I don't know that I said this, I think I did at the beginning, but I don't own a fat bike. Right. So this is way out of my, this is way out of my, ability range really right now i i couldn't figure out but we'll we'll we gotta uh, get you on the bike really quick yeah for sure so for sure you know you're you just you're on that fat bike and 
you're going slower. I, I feel like I need to learn that. I feel like I need to learn how to go slow and be patient because yeah, uh, that is going to be paradigm shifting for me. Yeah. I, you know, the other is um, when you go, you're going to be riding with us and we're going to have fun. I mean, <laughs> I've you know, heard the, the stories of you back of the pack, guys. So, so it's, it's, it's going to be really fun as long as Woody doesn't take his clothes off too many times. Uh, you'll be okay. Fair enough. I'm not worried about me when Woody takes his clothes off. I'll worry about Woody. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm totally looking forward to that. And I feel like um, uh, I've got, I've talked to Ken Kruger already, the director of the race. And um, he has many good things to say about the back of the pack guys. One of which was, oh, you're hanging with those guys? you're going to be just fine. So that, <laughs> that really builds my confidence in um, living through this thing and, uh, and having a good time at it. So I, I'm totally looking forward to it. But again, it is scary because it's nothing I've ever done. 45-minute criterium, I'm all in. But this is not that. Right. So anyway. I'd be more scared in a 45-minute criterium. <laughs> well, that'll be next year. We'll talk you through. Uh, we'll get you on a road bike and get you uh, ripping around corners at 35 miles an hour. Ken Leffler, he'd be good at that. He'll he'll help yeah. you. Jason it's McCartney, true. he'll get you going. Jason's in class this semester building a bike. Did I tell you? Oh, that? get out! No way. Is he building yeah. a road bike for the next uh, no, he's uh, tour of Spain victory? Monster cross. Oh, huh? Yeah. Uh, really that good. sounds interesting. For those who don't know, Jason McCartney rode with, um, uh, he was Discovery Channel. I actually have a rain jacket that was Jason McCartney's. Every year, um, it might have been an email. We might have had email in those days. Um, Brett Griggs would send a thing. He's like, hey, we've got the Jason McCartney pile of stuff. Who wants what? And I ended up with a super nice Discovery Channel Gore-Tex rain jacket that A, I'm proud to say, still pretty much fits, and B, is an awesome jacket. Um, but uh, that dude raced with Lance Armstrong, won stages in Tour of California, Tour of Georgia. Um, it was either Tour of Italy, Giro d'Italia, or Vuelta a España. Do you remember which... He won a stage over there. Yeah, I can't remember which of those. But you know what? He beat Lance as the king of the mountains in, in Tour of California. He did beat Lance as king of the yeah. mountains in Tour of California. Yep, yeah. that was awesome. And I think, well, it was Tour of Georgia was early. I should do a pod with Jason. He'd be super fun. Yeah. And, you know, two-time Olympian. Yeah, I forget about that. It's amazing. And he's building a bike with you this semester. That's right. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, Steve, uh, I will let you go because I know you've got a busy week with the Black Sheep crew. Um, they're in kind of co-teaching the class with you. Yeah. Um, I will put links to your episodes in the show notes so that people can find you and find out more about uh, your class and some of your other experiences in Iceland and Alaska and beyond. Um and uh, I will look forward to riding my bike this winter right. a lot and getting ready for Arrowhead and talking to you again about the next big part. 
All right. This is fun, Dave. Talk to yeah. you soon. Yeah, I appreciate right. it. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed my conversation. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, this Arrowhead thing is definite paradigm shift for me. And I'm super stoked to have Steve help me through and help me answer some of the questions and get me ready to not only succeed at Arrowhead, but like not have to be rescued from a ditch when it's 40 below in a snowstorm in northern Minnesota. So, I mean, that's kind of my bottom line. I like want to live through the thing. Um, whether I get to the finish or not, living is... Uh, I mean, living is, is high priority. So Steve's going to help me do that. I'm stoked about it, and I'm stoked to have his help. Uh, we'll be checking back periodically. I'm going to... Next week, we're talking with Ken Kruger, the director, the race director of the Arrowhead 135. Get a bit of the history, the bit of the why, a bit of his advice for me and others like me who want to uh, be prepared for a race like the Arrowhead 135. And, uh, and then periodically I'll be throwing in episodes with Steve. I will take you on a training adventure as I get ready to, again, not die on the Arrowhead 135. One of the things that I'm going to be doing to prepare is riding the Core 4, where no surface is left untouched. Check it out. Who's ready for some Core 4 news? After a huge spike in riders and a super thank you to everyone for coming out this year, these guys jumped right back into the fire. It's no surface untouched again for 2024 because Core 4 24 has a sweet sound to it, no doubt. New routes, new distances, and a new you. That's right, y'all, they are mixing it up with more surprises and delights. New for 24 is the Core 40 distance. Just a bump up from the 20 mile and still has all the farmscapes and B-roads and champagne gravel you'd expect from the folks at Core 4, just without the single track. They're telling us 60 is the new 50, miles that is, it's a no-surfaced, untouched, podium-eligible route with all the cats in addition to their marquee 100-mile event. It's the perfect blend of competition and community. We want Core 4 to be on your event calendar for 2024. Jump on Bike Reg today, snag your spot before this event reaches its cap. Come ride the wave and get more bodies on bikes. It's blazing hot action every year, and they'll keep the fire stoked all winter long with the 20, 40, 60, or 100-mile route. Core 424 has something for everyone. It's time for the next time. Let's go! Thanks again for listening. I appreciate your support. If you would like to support the show, please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. If you want to help support this show financially, I would love it. Go to buymeacoffee.com and look for Bike Talk with Dave and drop a few coins in the bucket. Truly, I would appreciate that. It helps a lot, and I'll be happy to send you a sticker if you do. Uh, you can look for Bike Talk with Dave on Instagram, Facebook, 
YouTube, and all of the episodes are streaming on your computer at biketalk.bike. Hope you have a great week. Stay warm. Look forward to next week with Ken Kruger. And don't forget that nothing compares to the simple pleasure of riding a bicycle.